Welcome to Fashion Forum, a podcast brought to you by the British Fashion Council. I'm Caroline Rush, Chief Executive. Today we bring you a series of conversations highlighting the relationship between the creative industries, celebrating not only fashion designers, but also the broader creative community, all of whom play a vital role in our industry's culture and reputation, promoting British creativity on a global scale. Welcome to the British Fashion Council Fashion Forum podcast. I'm Caroline Issa, the co-owner and fashion director of Tank Magazine, and I'm really delighted to be talking today with Paria Farzaneh, a talented designer whose Iranian heritage is deeply embedded in her menswear collections. She graduated Ravensbourne University in 2016 and launched her first collection a year later was selected as the British Fashion Council's new gen one to watch in 2018, and has since had her clothing seen on the likes of Usher, LeBron James, and BTS, all of which was bought, not borrowed, but we'll come to that later. So, Paria, let's start from the beginning. Where did you grow up, and what was it that got you dreaming that fashion was what you actually wanted to study before you even got to university? So I was born in Devon, which um, is the southwest (laughs) of the UK. Um, And I moved to Hull probably a year into two, three years old. And I I spent most of my, my life in the East Riding of Yorkshire, which is the northeast of England. Um, I never really thought that I was supposed to be a fashion designer or that kind of route, but it was more the fact that fashion and clothing was just so ingrained in in my life. My granddad was a tailor and my grandma used to help him at the tailor's shop. Um, And then my mom used to make all of my clothes. And I guess that's just what trickled down into me and, um, I was supposed to become a psychiatrist and had a complete U-turn when uh, I studied my A-levels because I realised that that just was not the right thing to do. So I did an art foundation and after that I applied for fashion at Ravensbourne and I just went from there. What was it, you know, during your A-levels or before that made you realise, God, you know, psychiatrist, you know, that's not the route for me. Fashion is is definitely the route. I think it was just the feeling of being so claustrophobic and with fashion and any other creative subject that wasn't any rules. Um, you're not bound by, you know, two plus two is four and this is a certain way a person would feel because that is the reason and there's always an explanation for something. I like the fact that with fashion, you could just kind of do whatever you want and you would lead the way and you would make the rules. Were your parents supportive of that decision? I mean, at the beginning, um, the first thing that they, they said is that you won't be making a lot of money. And of course, any typical uh, Middle East or Asian parent, I'm sure everyone's familiar with the dream careers for their children lays between a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant, things that, you know, could reach financial success or whatever you want to call it in, in quite a short time. 
Um, so that was kind of what they were saying. They weren't saying don't do it. They were just saying it, it will take a long time. And, you know, I, I, I just went for it. And it's not about the money. It, it never was. Like if I wanted to make money, I remember telling you I would have just joined JP Morgan and lived that Canary Wharf lifestyle and uh, could, have, could have done that. But here we are now. <laughs> Here we are now, exactly. So, so tell me, after your time at Ravensbourne, what was it that made you realize that you wanted to do your own label, that this was, um, you know, the independent route was the way to go? I think what is really important is that I'd spent my life working for other people and following their rules and wasn't that I didn't necessarily agree with them, but it was just kind of, again, that feeling of being trapped and kind of like, oh, we need to be this certain way to meet this expectation or we need to behave in this way because it would be wrong if you were somebody else. Um, And I didn't want to be somebody else and I couldn't be myself in those situations. Um, I never really you know, wrote it down, like, this is my life now and I'm going to do this on my own. It was just the most organic way of finding out what I should do next. That's, that's so interesting. I think sort of the, um, the innate and very passionate feeling you had about not being someone else, but representing yourself through your label. Um, I remember coming back from my first visit to Iran, my father is half Iranian, and uh, I'd gone to Isfahan and Tehran, and I came back, and it was in 2017, I believe, when I first saw your first lookbook, and these incredible images of men who were not your typical models, of you know subsequent lookbooks and presentations thereafter, but it was it was just really exciting to to see this uh, very dynamic collection with sort of slashes of tradition of your Iranian heritage, um, with those textiles kind of woven in very uh, obviously into what normally would have been a regular track pant or a pair of sweatpants. So can we a little let's talk about your heritage. Let's talk about why you very clearly wanted to express uh, in your collections your uh, heritage and the traditional textiles that are so associated with it. I think it's really important um, in any circumstance if you have something that is very obvious to be able to showcase that and at at first I just I mean it goes back to being so young and kind of being embarrassed for people to come to my house at primary school because I didn't think that they would understand what was going on or why there was particular pieces of artwork on the walls and fabrics on the table and the smell and why they needed to take their shoes off before they came inside. And as I grew up and 
started realizing my true identity, I realized that this is something that you just can't hide and you can't take away. So if anything, again, if my responsibility is to tell the story, then I'm going to tell it the way that I've seen it firsthand. And, you know, the, the main Iranian print that we use, which is hand printed in Esfahan and is washed in the river and is left out in the sun to dry, is a piece of fabric that is found in every Iranian's house. Um, People use it for their beds. People use it for the top of their washing machines. People use it for picnics. It was just kind of like taking, um, I don't know, like it's a strand of hair. You're always going to find that hair on the floor. You're always going to see it in the bathroom. You're always going to see it on your clothes. Maybe it's not like the best um, kind of comparison, but that's just the way that I see it. It's, it's not annoying, you know, it's, it's identity, it's embedded in there. And again, it was just a chapter and a part of the story that, that needed to be told. Um, so naturally that's, that's what I first thought of and that's what I, you know, started with. And then we just really just took it from there. What was the reaction for your first, your second collection, from retailers, from press, were you surprised by reactions? Were you encouraged or, you know, disappointed? How, how was that for you? I think it's always, you know, a risk for anybody trying something new because a lot of people are scared of the unknown. A lot of people just want to stick to what they know um, and they don't want to have the challenge or, you know, dip into something completely different. And I was super lucky because I was in a position where people were really interested because it was something that they'd never seen before, something that they'd never experienced before. I remember, you know, one of the beginning of the first shows I had, I, I did it in a an Iranian restaurant in West London in Bayswater in, in the basement. And I was just like, okay, we're going to do this. And we're going to have all of these like street cast Iranian and non-Iranian models. And we're, we're going to do it like this. And at the beginning I was kind of like, what are we actually doing? And then I just thought, no, we're actually reimagining a scene that I've had in my life. And they're going to be wearing the clothes that I designed. So we had this, this crazy presentation show and there was some models um, playing checkers, which is another traditional game in Iran. There was some models sat in front of like um, a shisha and, you know, just, I just wanted to take people to that place because that was a place that somebody had never been before. Um, and the restaurant owners were freaked out because there was this queue that was going all the way down the street to Bayswater Queensway Station. And they were like, we didn't know this many people were actually going to come and see what this person is doing in the basement of our restaurant. Um, but it was very real and it happened. And then suddenly it's, it's like a domino effect. Once one slightly slips down, the rest shortly follow and it kind of just snowballed from there I mean I think that's one of the things that I have loved that has sort of 
as you say, kind of snowballed in terms of the noise that you've managed to make. And I think three years later now, having had your label, you have always very visibly put yourself, your identity, the heritage in everything that you have done, whether a piece of clothing, a lookbook, a moment. Um, but what does it actually mean to be a label that is so highly personal? And, and how do you deal with all the implications that that means, you know? I mean, it's not easy. <laughs> this is like, I'm not saying this is like on par with what a heart surgeon has to perform because you're, you have somebody's lives in your hand, but it's kind of the same <laughs> in my world, you know, it's kind of like, you are responsible for creating that emotion. You are responsible for telling that story. Um, and some people need to be consistently motivated in their thought process or their inspirations and being fed this kind of new, like creative drive, this new energy. And, you know, anybody who kind of says anything like that or tries to tell that it's, it's exhausting, you know, because you are giving so much, you are giving a lot. Um, but it's, it's the only way to be able to make people feel that emotion. And I know in recent years and way that I've seen the industry kind of roll out I've seen a lot of I don't know I think personalities that are at the forefront and sometimes a personality needs to make up for the fact that this kind of spark and special environment does not exist and for me I just I, I just don't believe in that if the message is not powerful enough if you can't evoke the emotion if you cannot tell your story or if you can't bring a group of people and tell them you know this is what I thought today plot that seed in their mind for them to just take it to their next level themselves I don't really see the point of doing what we're doing um, and again I say this to a lot of people that I have these discussions with fashion is merely just the platform that we're communicating and it's essentially the new politics Nobody under 35 is going to listen to any of the MPs. Nobody under 35, probably even older than 35, is going to take an interest into world affairs. I mean, right now, yes. But we as pioneers, we as leaders of this industry, which, you know, manifests, manifests itself in so many different ways, have this responsibility to be able to show people the way, to be able to show people this other world. And it's, it's just really important because we're only just scratching the surface. That's a really powerful insight. And I think a lot of responsibility as well. And it's interesting that you say fashion is just uh, is a medium for a much bigger message. I mean, in your case, how do you, how do you feel that you communicate the complexities of, say, Iran, Iranian heritage, 
um, British-born Iranian uh, heritage woman. You know, how do you use clothes to communicate all of those um, complexities? I think it's really important to try and take whatever the medium is and put it in that environment. So, you know, if I design a candle, I'll put it in my grandma's house with my cousins and I'll take a, a photograph. It's all about implementing that one thing in anybody's life. And this is just such an integral part of the process you know i'm obviously people can't see what you're wearing right now but you're wearing um the iranian hand printed shirt um from my ss20 collection and if you knew the journey that that piece has come like it's just it's crazy because that started off in a in a small little workshop, which was hand printed by this gentleman, washed in the river, left out to dry, and then flew all the way to the West, to London, for it to be manufactured into its final self. And now, wherever you are, that's, that's, on, that's around your body. It's, it's holding you, it's, it's the aesthetic, it's, it's all there. And, to me, that's like every time I see somebody wearing anything like that, it makes me feel so emotional because I've just given them that part of the story. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, I'm just getting so emotional now because I'm just thinking like wherever you are in the world, like you can, you can be a part of something through that medium. And it's, it's really beyond anything else, that connection. It's like a connection that you choose to have. And then once you have it, you'll have it for life. And I think, you know, I agree. And, and all of you listening can't see, but it's this incredible print. And you can feel the craft and you can feel sort of a connection to the traditional um, artisanship that goes into it. And I think that's a very powerful thing that clothes have, especially as they're so close to our skin. But what I love as well is that you build a community, a community of like-minded, open people who want to be, pe want a piece of, you know, Peria Farzadeh's world and the values that you have imbued in that. Um, I mean, I have a question that was supposed to come later, but I guess one of the things which I found interesting was that, you know, a lot of celebrities are wearing your clothes. Um, when I was doing my research, I saw an Instagram post of Usher wearing one of your jackets. and Somebody had commented, you know, what is Usher doing wearing my grandma's tablecloth? And I loved that. It made me laugh so hard. And it was exactly what you said, because it's such a everyday mundane sort of print that is in every Iranian's life, you know, the fact that Usher is wearing some grandma's tablecloth. How, but how does that, how does even community, but bigger than that celebrity, you know, does, has that, does that help? Does it sometimes hinder? How do you feel about sort of, 
the amplification of, I guess, you know, fashion through celebrity culture. I just think it's like, that was the last thing I thought I would see. <laughs> it's like, we, we grew up listening to Usher and it's like, he's wearing this jacket in LA and being so proud. Like he's like showing off cause he's wearing something different. And that's the most important thing. Like if you can't put something on and you feel like, okay, wow, this is different. I feel different. I look different to other people. And yeah, sure. Some other people might be a part of this, but in that moment, you just feel so powerful. And it, again, like you said at the beginning of the discussion, it was never something that people would ask for call-ins and say, we want to borrow this. I mean, that was happening as well. It was just the fact that it soon started to pop in different places. I remember like watching this, like, like somebody tagged me in something and I was like, French Montana was like, was wearing like this two piece and like, I don't know, they were like in this tropical setting. And I was just so, I was like, how, what? Like, so like shook because you think of that world in a completely different entity, even though it's like this celebrity world and whatever, you don't think that will ever reach you or you don't think that you'd be connected in that way. But somehow it reached them and then they kind of, participated and they kind of wanted to be a part of it as well and I just find that so fascinating because again it goes back to the power of influence it goes back to the power of meaning Mm -hmm. how can one color of red just strike itself in different parts of the world but it does and I love how you know BTS the biggest Korean boy band in the world and they're proudly wearing you know, traditional Iranian textile. And it just reverberates, I think. And it gets people who might not necessarily know what it is, curious about it. And it opens up people's worlds, which is really the most powerful thing I think that fashion can do. Why is it that you started with menswear? I just don't really find the connection in women's wear for myself because it just lacked detail. It lacked function. It lacked, you know, the sense of having this kind of, I don't want to say power and kind of say that men are more powerful than women and start that whole discussion, but it was kind of like the authority that menswear would bring. And if you look back to tradition and think that in the 19th, 20s women were definitely not wearing trousers and now they do it's just something that's so culturally embedded in history and where women and men stand in this whole discussion and I just as a person myself I'm I'm very androgynous and like if you look at everything I'm wearing now it's like I'm not wearing women's clothing because I don't find that that cut or that that message or that kind of like story in a way and I think it's really important 
to be able to have that as women as well. Um, and also the way that I kind of would envision a design for a man because essentially everything I design is for myself. And if it's good enough for me, then it will be good enough for everybody else. And you are wearing that shirt, but it was showcased in Men's Fashion Week and it really makes no difference because it's for everyone. I completely agree, which is interesting. And it goes back to sort of, let's talk about presenting during Men's Wear Fashion Week. Um, Because as you, you know, from lookbook to moments to these, you know, the last show you had this past January, which was an incredible sort of recreation of a Iranian wedding. And you had a beautiful bride sitting there, you know, clothed in her incredible uh, gown and her husband-to-be watching over a wonderful show. But, you know, they're, they're incredibly, they're like pieces of theater, very ephemeral. You're there, you experience it, you leave feeling quite emotional, and then it's done. And I would love to understand how you approach thinking about presenting your collections, you know, what's the process of finally saying this is how I want to do it, but also thinking about how you communicate that. Again, it goes back to this this moment of the storytelling element. And I think, what can I do that some people, you know, the minority of, of people in that audience would have experienced because they are Iranian or they know me or they've been to something like that with me. But the rest of the people just have no idea. They have no idea. They've never experienced, smelt, been around, seen all of the important senses, which I just need to highlight in every single way. Every show, we use a particular scent, an incense. And scent for me is is one of the biggest because that smell can transport you into any moment where you last experienced it anywhere. And it's so powerful because you can be in Timbuktu and you can be in Peckham. And if you still smell that same scent, it will take you there instantly. So it's kind of like just having this 360 world where I can depict all of these emotions where people can have this full experience. It it then kind of takes it away from this fashion show, you know? And every time it's really about putting people in a place that they've never been before. It's a risk, you know, it's a risk is you don't know what people are going to think. And and that really doesn't concern me if it's good or if it's bad. It's the fact that I will get the opportunity to showcase that moment for people, that next chapter. And it is very personal because these are moments that I've have, have had and now choosing to show with the rest of the world. But they deserve it. They deserve it. And people need to know. Well, I think that's incredible. And it's almost like bringing your teenage self when you 
were scared to bring your your friends home, you know, and the smell of the saffron rice or tadik, you know, burning at the bottom. (laughs) What we fight for at the table. (laughs) The treat of the moment. (laughs) But bringing that experience to a wider public who might not have experienced that. So how do you then think, you know, about the digital, about whether that's your e-commerce site. I've noticed that you've put up a, an important film there for everybody to watch in its entirety. And maybe you can talk a little bit about that. But how do you, how do you then with the physical being such a 360 kind of experience, how do you translate your brand into the digital space? The digital space is obviously, you know, the most prominent in in everybody's lives, even though you don't want to subscribe to that world, you have to because it's 2020 and and that's kind of how things work. And this lockdown has just proven even more why we should be connected through the internet, through digital platforms. And just like, the kind of hope to be together again you know because this was not going to be the way of life forever we weren't ever going to come out of this you know whatever it was we weren't you know so in the meantime it's kind of again this tool to feed people information to keep inspiring them and keep telling the story for them and we launched our e-commerce at the beginning of the lockdown because you know we didn't want to stop people for being intertwined and having that moment for themselves and ordering something where they they receive it and they have a piece of the world um And it was just also really important just to not, I mean, I don't really talk about product ever because I don't, I don't like doing stuff like that. You know, I just put it out there and talk about it for a bit. And then again, planting the seed and whether you choose to water this seed or you, you choose to not, that's okay too. Um, We started with, with films Iranian cinema, some of the best. We had um, Abbas Kirostami, we had Shirin Ashot, um, that just showcased some really amazing moments in film form. And if a film can't transport you into, again, a moment or an experience, then it's really not doing its job. And I have a huge influence from Iranian cinema and just cinema in general, because films really do evoke that one hour and a half of escapism of that reality. And you are so intertwined in that world and that's what you choose to be in. And that's how you live in that moment. So we started doing that and I started putting some of the clips where, you know, made me feel a different way. And I I wanted to share that with people. And every week we were uploading something different up until last week where a huge shift in our world happened. And 
it was kind of just really important to have that discussion, even though the experience is not the same. It comes from the same place. And again, it really doesn't mean that the way that it's been or people having these experiences is acceptable. And my whole view on this whole situation is if you cannot take responsibility for yourself, you can't take responsibility for anybody else. If you cannot look yourself in the mirror and see what is looking back at you and be okay with that, then there's nothing. There's nothing. And I think that's the whole stigma of this whole kind of situation. People feel responsible for other people when the problem just comes from within. So, you know, sharing such an educational piece of content, which was made in 94, directed by a Chinese man who had moved to the States, was just really important because everybody spoke about their experience and no one was more meaningful or less meaningful. It came from the same heart and the only thing that we're trying to do is to just be sat at the same table and to have the same conversations. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, how has both the pandemic, the resulting lockdown, and also the galvanization of sort of Black Lives Matter movement, how has it affected you in the sense of the change that you might want to make thinking about your brand and how you run your business going forward? I think obviously right now, there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of upset and so be it. Without the fire, you know, there's there's not going to be a storm and you won't be able to put out that fire after the storm and, and the rain and it takes time. And I look at my team and I'm, I see the diversity. I look at myself and this is, this is the story I've been telling, you know, and everybody else is, you know, kind of has been listening this whole time, which is kind of, it's just like the irony because that's what we've been pushing. We've been pushing this completely other world. We've been telling that story. We've been involving so many people from all parts of the world and we never stopped. And we never gave that up and we never sacrificed that for anything because it's all about the people. It's all about the people. And I know now, especially in fashion, especially in, in any of, of like the industries, people are pointing the fingers and saying, well, how can you relate? How do you understand? And most of them just can't. They just can't because they don't have people who've had experiences. They don't have people who felt the pain. They don't have people that have had to work 10 times, 20 times harder 
It's like, you know, me sitting in assembly and being so embarrassed for somebody to say my name because they're going to get it wrong. Imagine that. And that is just nothing. Nothing compared to the real discussion. So in a way, again, like I feel like it's just so important to have these discussions because we're enabling a movement of change. We're enabling people to think differently, people to take responsibility, people to take a long, hard look at themselves and look and be like, is this the right thing? Is this the way it should be? And, and to me, that's, that's just the most powerful. It's just the most powerful. Absolutely. It feels like there could actually be real change. Absolutely. Fingers crossed, but we're all going to work towards that. I guess that sort of segues into a, a good last question for you, which is sort of, what would the advice be for another teenager today listening to this, listening to you sitting in their bedroom in Hull or beyond anywhere in this world who wanted to work in fashion? Uh, what would you tell them today about what you have learned so far and any advice you'd give? My only advice to, to anyone and not just people that, that want to be in fashion, don't let anyone tell you that you can't do something. They can't. Because you can do, and I really mean that. I really mean that. You can do anything you want to do in this world and there is no one that can stop you. The people who will want to stop you are the people that want to see you fall, the people that don't want you to see you succeed. And people will try. People will try. And that's fine. But the biggest risk is not taking one. And that's what it's all about. So don't stop ever ever until people listen thank you Paria Farzane thank you Caroline Fashion Forum is a co-production between the British Fashion Council and In Talks With Productions if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe leave a review and share it with your friends if you'd like to find out more and join the conversation on social media, then head to londonfashionweek.co.uk or at London Fashion Week. 